Just Start Real Estate, episode number 125. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's a kind of a cool story of just sort of like positioning yourself properly and, you know, weathering that storm and then coming out, you know, ahead a little bit. So that's, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. That's, that's the goal in life, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Avoid getting killed basically is, is, is the goal here. All right. Welcome. Thank you for joining me here on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate your time. I appreciate that you've tuned in and that you're spending a little time with me here today. My name is Mike Simmons. I'm your host, and I am really excited to get started with today's show. But before I do, I just want to make sure that everyone is aware that my coaching program for the month of April is now closed. It is full, and I'm working with some new students. I could not be happier. We're having a blast, and I know I'm going to change some businesses. If you want to get involved in my coaching program, though, I am accepting applications for the month of May right now. So you can go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash coach in order to apply for the May program. Like I said, I'm accepting applications for May. April's closed, but man, I am having a blast. This is a lot of fun and I am really, I think, having a huge impact on some businesses. And according to my students, that is exactly what's happening. So I can't wait to talk to you. I hope you go there and check it out. And if you do, I will talk to you soon. Okay, now on to the show. Thank you for joining me here again on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here very much. And I have a guest on today that I'm really excited about. And uh, we're going to talk about some things that I'm not super educated about. So I have a lot of questions. I think it's going to be awesome. On the line today, I have Sasha Favalukas, and he has been involved in the mortgage industry since 2002. He started as a wholesaler selling loan packages to the secondary market. In 2005, Sasha and his partner Alex Pellegrino started a mortgage and real estate company in La Mesa, California. In January of 07, um, 2007, I should say, they decided to exit the conventional lending industry because they saw an end of an era coming. In July of that year, Sasha moved to San Francisco to pursue an opportunity to work in the private money space. From 2007 until 2010, Sasha was able to fund $70 million in loans and put $50 million of investor capital to work. In 2012, Sasha joined as a partner in Sequoian Investments Incorporated that's engaged in private money finance. In 2013, Sequoian founded over 20 I'm sorry, funded over $20 million in short-term loans for property rehabs in the San Diego area. They are now starting to expand into other markets and other states, and they expect to be up and running across the U.S. by mid-May. Welcome to the show, Sasha. I appreciate you being on. Thank you, Mike. That's an awful lot of activity in the last uh, several years here, last 12 years. you got a lot of, of experience under your belt, and that just makes me very excited to dive in and start asking you all kinds of uh, questions here. Absolutely. Ask away. All right. Let's start off, if we could, let's go before 2002. What were you doing before you got into um, the mortgage industry? <sighs> Well, before 2002, I was uh, I was in school. Awesome. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I was going into uh, the business uh, sector, and uh, I decided that uh, when I saw what was going on in the real estate business, I uh, decided to jump right in. So this uh, was your first endeavor right out of school. You 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 got into real estate. Absolutely. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, I found that because I just kept doing the same thing uh, or within the same area. Uh, in the mortgage space, uh, you know, the, the more you do something, the more you learn and then you learn 
all different facets of that business and it really helps you in the future. Um, I can remember things from back in 2002 when I didn't know anything uh, that are helping me now. Yeah, exactly. You know, things have changed a ton, but you're right. I mean, you remember these things from way back when you started. And so when you started in 2002, I mean, the the real estate market, I mean, you're in California. Um, where Back then, let's see, where were you in 2002? Were you in California? Yep. Okay. I was in California, Southern California. Okay. So, I mean, prices were still rising pretty, pretty steadily, pretty healthy at that point, right? Yes, absolutely, they were. Okay, so things are going great, and then I know obviously you you have been through just like all of us the the big crash and you know everything burning and, and, and crashing. So when that happened, you know I'm I'm looking at your at your uh, information here, your bio. Um, it looks like you guys were still funding a lot of loans and you were doing a lot of business. How badly did that time affect you in your business? Well, uh, so. I'm in San Diego, California. Uh, we're right across the border from uh, from Mexico, and uh, at the time we were from 2004 till 2007, um, we had a lot of first-time home buyers. But we opened up a niche uh, in San Diego. We found a bank that would um, finance non-resident aliens, uh, which means people that live in Mexico that wanted a second home or that you know operate a business in Mexico, live here, that don't have any income here, sure. uh, were able to get financing on properties. And that was a you know, pretty rare product. It was pretty cutting edge and it was um, viewed as high risk, even though I think that it was probably lower risk than a lot of the loans that were done at the time. And in uh, 2007, in January, uh, they cut that program. And when I saw them cutting the most aggressive programs, uh, I decided that it was probably a pretty good time to exit because the previous couple years before that, we saw you know account executives walking into our office, um, you know, requesting these loans that were, uh, I mean, in my mind, they were just bad loans, hundred percent financing, first-time home buyers. Uh, yeah. Stated income, st stated assets, so where you just state what your assets are rather than proving it. <laughs> yeah. and, right. You know, I don't know how many times I thought to myself, how long can this really last? And, you know, it was probably in 2005 when I first started asking myself this question. And uh, it just kept going from there and prices kept going up. And, uh, you know, uh, the writing was on the walls. And uh, we were just wondering when it was going to happen. And when they started taking away those really extreme programs, we stopped lending conventional. And I moved up to the Bay Area, uh, to San Francisco, uh, up in Northern California. Um, and the reason I did that was because uh, San Francisco uh, is very landlocked. Uh, it's seven miles by seven miles. Um, properties don't change hands very often and values didn't really take a hit, uh, not too much, not enough to where it would really disturb a you know, hard money loan at right. the time we were lending at 65% of the value of the property. Sure. So the probability of the properties falling that much uh, were pretty low, but you know, no one really saw a crash as big as it actually happened. So in, in a lot of places, like for instance, Las Vegas or 
Arizona, you saw some properties crash 70, 80% of the value. Yeah. Um, luckily, that didn't happen in San Francisco, and properties didn't really fall very much, maybe 15, 20%. Um, and at the time when everybody, every bank stopped lending because the sky was falling, uh, we were, I had this opportunity to lend with private investor money um, on deals that made sense. And that's, that's what I started doing. And uh, then in 2009, I remember very specifically, I, uh, I, I felt that real estate had maybe bottomed out or close to it. And I started looking uh, back in San Diego for opportunities. And, uh, you know, that, that's, how, that's how I got back down here. And we just started lending to guys that were flipping houses. Wow. So it looks like, or it sounds like, I should say, you just sort of like saw something coming, positioned yourself favorably, sort of weathered the storm, and then you were able to move back in when things had, had kind of turned around a little bit, or I shouldn't say turned around, but like you said, bottomed out, and there were opportunities again. So it just... I mean, maybe a, a little bit of foresight, a little bit of luck, but it sounds like you just didn't—you didn't get crushed like a lot of people did. It's cer certainly lending institutions. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, you're right. A little bit of foresight, a little bit of luck. I, I, I thought it was going to crash, but I didn't think it was going to even come close to to sure. what really happened. Yeah, no, I mean, nobody did really. I mean, people who say they knew exactly what was going to happen, or I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I believe that, but yeah, I, I, you know, nobody really knew it was going to be that bad, but like I said, I mean, it's, you know, hats off to you that you at least saw something coming and you put yourself in an, you know, in a, in an area that wasn't going to be, you know, just devastated and you had a source of money that wasn't necessarily affected like the big lending, lending institutions. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a kind of a cool story of just sort of like positioning yourself properly and, you know, weathering that storm and then coming out, you know, ahead a little bit. So that's, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. That's, that's the goal in life, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Avoid getting killed basically is, is, is the goal here. Um, okay. All right. So that's a little bit about your history. That's awesome. And like I said, very, very cool to hear that story and how you, how you were able to position yourself. Very, very intelligent. What does your business look like today? What are you doing exactly? Who are your customers? You know, what is the what is the what does your business look like? Um, so today, um, well, let me rewind real quick. Uh, when I was telling you that I moved to San Diego to start this business, I didn't actually move to start this business. I moved down here in order to buy buy and hold properties, and my idea was that I was going to syndicate a bunch of investors. And we're going to, you know, go out and buy, you know, good opportunities that that rent well. And um, I just kept getting outbid by these guys that were flipping houses. And you know, at the time, um, coming from 2002, I never really saw people flipping houses per se um, in in the in the way that we we see it now. It was more of back then. It was more of you. Put buy it, hold on to it for three months, and then refire. You know, sell it, and that right, was the right, flip. Right, uh, right. No one, most people weren't doing extensive rehab or adding square footage or any of that. Not a lot. Not like now, in any case. So these guys kept uh, outbidding me, and I said, "Hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll uh, I'll lend you the money to buy these things." And 
you know, my hope is that you're going to pay me, but if you don't pay me, worst case scenario is at least, you know, I can pick up these properties for where I want to be. Um, and that's, that's, that's basically how I started and, uh, here in San Diego in any case. And we started lending and, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a really great market to be lending in because these loans are very short term. And uh, I started lending at 80% of the purchase price in 2010. People called me crazy. Uh, but in my mind, you know, people hold these properties for less than six months. The probability of a, of a property falling even 20% in six months is pretty low. Right. right. Um, on top of it, people are usually putting in money to fix up the properties. And so what, when I ran my metrics after doing it for a year, I found that you know, my loans are usually, were usually around 45% of the after repair value, which is pretty good. Um, so it became, to, in my mind, it became a very safe investment. Um, and now what's happened is properties have gone up in price and you know, it's gotten more competitive. Um, back in 2010, you were able to you know, get a really screaming deal um, and that has, you know, a simple paint and carpet kind of repair and, uh, you know, you were able to make a pretty good penny on those types of properties and now that's not really the case. It's not as easy anymore. Um, right. I, I don't know about in your area, but in, in my area here, um, it used to be every deal came off of the MLS, the multiple listing service. Um, where now I would say that eighty percent of the deals that I, that I finance are not they're they're off market somehow they're probate they're yeah. out, they're pocket listings yeah for sure it's, it is the same around here and I'm in Michigan most of my listeners know that I'm in Michigan and yeah I, I would agree and even in my business when I started in two thousand and eight all of my deals came off the MLS. I mean, all of them. And it really wasn't incredibly hard. I mean, I had to sift and sort through some houses. And early on in my career, you know, a lot of flashlights and basements at, you know, in the nighttime. But yeah, nowadays it's a little tougher. There's a lot more competition for these houses. And a lot of them are off market now, like you say. I mean, they're, you know, the, people are are uh, marketing for houses and talking to, to uh, sellers themselves and they're not coming off the MLS like they used to. And I don't know, I mean, you hear a lot of people saying that there's just tons of inventory being held back and this kind of thing. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but I know this, on the MLS, it's a lot harder to find a deal. And honestly, banks and, and the, you know, the folks who, who have these houses under their control do not make it easy for investors to, to purchase them a lot of times either. I mean, uh, the, the first time home buyer or the, the person who's gonna live there gets the first look, right, for 15 days. I, I assume there's something like this in California, I don't know, but in Michigan, um, you know, they get the first look for 15 days. So anything that would be paint and carpet like that you know the home buyer is buying them because they can they can envision themselves doing those renovations but when it comes to you know tearing walls down and adding square footage like you said those are the ones that that are sometimes left for the investor but they are more extensive it's not you know it's not just a really easy in and out you know one week and a half to two week renovation anymore they're they're a lot more extensive so i would definitely agree with that mm -hmm. absolutely and uh, I mean, we're seeing, I don't know if you guys have those uh, gurus on the radio that try to sell their, you know, twenty fifty thousand $50,000, you know, renovation package and then they, they give you a pat on the shoulder and send you out the door and 
that because of programs <laughs> like that, there's so many people out there that are bidding crazy numbers on uh, some of these properties where we'll see, you know, 20, 30 cash offers on a house and, you know, which, which, I mean, last year that happened a lot, but now what's going on is that most of those offers are just a shot in the dark. Um, right, and right. you get, you know, the top 15 to 20 of those offers, people don't even run the numbers. They just make it a cash offer. It goes off the market. It goes to the ringer. Then they try to beat back the price. And then it goes back to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and the yeah. next guy until somebody yep. actually buys it. Right, right. And it's very discouraging for most people. So um, in, in my mind, a lot of the guys that I've been working with since 2010 that do higher volume, um, most of their deals are coming from a different direction completely. Um, you know, it's, in, in, in San Diego, it's definitely all about relationships. Yeah, and um, it's very similar to I don't know if you're familiar with the way that commercial real estate trades. Um, you know, you, you have uh, a building that comes for sale, and there's literally a handful of commercial brokers because there's not a lot of inventory, not like single-family homes. And for commercial properties, there's you know a handful of guys that the broker will know that are going to be good. For that deal, and they'll just call their friend. They'll never put it up on the market. They'll never do anything, yeah, and yeah. I, because they know that whoever they're going to call is going to perform. And I see that happening now in the single-family space, uh, where you'll have an agent that just does a ton of business, um, and they'll have their list of you know few buyers that they know will perform. They know they have the cash, and they know they can close fast. And uh, it's a little bit uh, concerning to see that happen. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of the new reality. Um, everybody asks me what their advice is or my, what my advice is for them. And I would say just, you have to just have really good relationships with the gatekeepers, with agents. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right about that. And it is frustrating, especially for the new investor who doesn't, you know, it's not doing a lot of volume and, and maybe is relatively new to the game. It's like, it's frustrating. How do you get in the door? How do you find these houses? How do you get on these, you know, pocket listings? It's just not going to happen if you haven't done any business with that realtor. So it is a little bit frustrating, but I'd like to to kind of reset a little bit and let's, you're a hard money lender. Okay. I, I'd like to dial it back a little bit and let's start at the basic here. Can you explain it in a nutshell? What is hard money and how does it differ from say traditional financing or maybe even a private money lender that you deal with directly? Like how, how does, what is, what is hard money and how does it differ from some of the other ways you could fund a deal? Well, uh, the reason that it's called hard money, um, most people don't know this is because it, there, there's a hard asset behind what we lend on. Um, and a hard money loan is no different than any mortgage or, you know, th that you're going to get from a bank. Um, it's just, it comes from a different avenue. Um, so you, you had mentioned a bank loan. Bank loans, uh, the problem these days is it, it's just so difficult to qualify with a bank. They want to qualify you as a borrower. Um, most people don't, especially if you're self-employed, especially if you're flipping for a living. And, you know, even if you're making good money, um, 
the underwriting that a bank does uh, is generally it's too complicated for a bank. They will just decline the loan. Although you can get, in theory, you know, five percent, four percent rate, but the reality is that their decline rate is so huge and it takes so long to get a loan that even if you were qualified, you wouldn't really be able to pick anything up because of the speed. Um, it would take you know a month to to get the loan done. Um, you also mentioned uh, private lenders. Uh, private lenders are really great. Um, they usually don't charge a lot of money. Um, they are you know usually uncle this or you know friend of the family or something like <laughs> right, that. Right. Right. I would say that's the majority of private lenders, and that's great. And they're you know, relatively inexpensive and they're pretty quick. The problem is that most private lenders uh, have a certain capacity. And uh, I've, I don't know how many times I've had the conversation with uh, a rehabber that says, well, you know, I have a private lender that, you know, does my, my financing. And uh, the only problem is, you know, he can only do one deal at a time or two deals at a time. Right. Well, if you're trying to quantify your business into a, into into something bigger and trying to really make a business out of it, you're not, you can't possibly, you know, make a big enough business to where you, you're only doing one to two deals at a time. Yep. Um, with private, with, with hard money lenders, we're, you know, we, we get our money from all different kinds of sources. Um, and we're not really capped to, you know, oh, we can only do two or three deals at a time. Um, you know, you'd mentioned, uh, you know, earlier that I, last year we did just north of $20 million in loans in San Diego. It's quite a bit of loans. Um, and the thing that set me apart from a lot of other hard money lenders in San Diego was that I always performed and I was fast. Um, normally we close a loan in about a week. Okay. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, that's that's. I would say that's just about average. You know, five to seven business days, um, and uh, you know, we always perform. There's a lot of hard money lenders out there that, or there's a lot of companies out there that claim to be hard money lenders, where a lot of times they'll broker it out to another lender or something like that. We don't really do that. We we pretty much fund everything in house. At least in California, we do. Okay, that brings me to to a question I really wanted to ask. And like you know, th this podcast is being listened to by a lot of new investors, and so I'm going to hopefully try to ask some of the questions that they might have uh, sitting here listening to this. And this is one that I would have: How does someone identify? And let's just say for right now, you're in California, right? You're not in the other states, so. <clears throat> Being that as it is, right? So we're, we're going to take your business out of it for a minute. I'm I'm in Michigan. How do I find? How do I identify and then somehow qualify a hard money lender? What am I looking for? What are the questions that I should be asking so that I'm dealing with someone? Because you said, you know, a lot of people call themselves a quote hard money lender. They're really not. They're brokering it out. How would I? How would I go about? filtering the, those people out and trying to find someone who is a good, reputable, hard money lender that I should be working with? Um, I would say, I mean, it's, it's hard. There's, there's, there's no underwriting you can really do for a hard money lender as far as, you know, finding out if they fund their own deals or they broker them out to other, uh, other lenders. 
But uh, I would say the best way to figure it out is word of mouth. Um, when you talk to somebody else that had that had you know gotten a loan from them, they can tell you because it's usually on their loan docs who's funding the loan. Okay. Um, I would say, and, and I would, in, in my mind, in this whole business, uh, the majority of it is is word of mouth. So you have a friend that gets financing, and they recommend you to somebody, and they say, "Hey, man, uh, I've done this many deals with this guy. He's always performed." I mean, for me, that's pretty good underwriting. The the personal recommendation from somebody that you know and trust. Sure. Yeah, and that's fair. That's how you know a lot of business is done, right? I mean, you, you get referrals from someone. Um, so as far as hard money goes, what, I don't know how to ask this so that I'm not leading you at all. What are some of the, what are your loan terms that, that are maybe the more popular ones or which ones like, you know, we talked about loan to value, right? Current value versus after repair value. Current value is, you know, what the house is for the day you buy it, what, what it's worth the day you buy it, I should say. And after repair value being what it's worth after it's renovated. So do you loan on after repair value? Do you loan on current value? Is it both, and why? How, what's the difference, and why would you do one or the other? Sure, um, that's a great question. Uh, so there are different uh, ways of thought to this. Um, my traditional lending program here in California is we lend, uh, or this is what I've been doing for the last uh, few years, is we lend eighty percent of the purchase price. So it's the loan to value of your purchase price rather than the after repair value. Okay. Um, and that type of product, uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, when I lend at 80% of the purchase price, basically you're putting 20% down and you're bringing in the construction costs. Um, I, in San Diego, on that type of program, we lend at uh, about 10% and two points. It's pretty inexpensive. Okay. okay. Um, and for me, if I was on the other side of the table, that is the program that I would use because uh, there's no what's called construction holdbacks. There's no fund control. I'll elaborate in that in a minute. Um, so that is that is the cheapest way to do it without having somebody get in your way. And there's a lot of lenders out there that are lending on after repair value uh, where you know they, they appraise the property as what it's going to be worth once you finish working on it and they'll lend you based on that but what they do is they give you a fund control uh, where you have to report to them all of the or to whatever company they use for that what are what is the prog progress of your construction or your rehab you have to send in pictures, you have to get in uh, somebody to come walk your property for you. It's very time consuming and a lot of times I've seen it help hold up uh, people's projects um, in a bad way where you know the guy can't get out today, he's coming tomorrow and you right, want to do right. the next step but you can't. You got to put off your construction and so on and so forth. Um, and there's a lot of lenders that lend on after repair value but <laughs> the reality is that they ended up they end up taking the same, giving the same kind of leverage that I end up giving, except for they do a fund control on top of it. So once you're done with the work, they distribute funds as you go. Once you're done with the work, then you're at you know 65% of the after repair value or 70% of the after repair value, sure, which sure. is usually you know 
where my 80% loan is usually you know around 60% of the after repair value. Uh, but in my mind, when you finish the work, you're going to put the property on the market and you're going to sell it. How long do properties usually take to sell over there, Mike? Uh, I mean, it really depends, but I would say 30 to 45 days. So 30 to 45 days. And a lot of times I've seen construction go much longer than that. Um, and so in my mind, the best type of program is where you don't have a, any type of fund control and you don't have anybody telling you how to do it, what to do. You know, they might say, hey, you did this wrong, you got to redo it or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and uh, so that's one product that we have here locally. Um, a product that we will be bringing out in California is going to be more of that type of fund control product. As much as I hate to do it, there's a huge market for it. Everybody's asking for it. Um, but we're bringing out a product that's going to be 90% loan to cost, which means 90% of the purchase price and 90% of the construction costs. Um, wow. we, we'll probably be bringing out that product um, close to the end of this month. Uh, but unfortunately, it's only a California type of product. Um, so it's not quite ready for other states, but we're working on it. What is the cost of that loan, just out of curiosity, in, in terms so, of points and things? So in California, we're going to be lending at 11% and 3 to 3.5 three points. Okay. I, I have a tremendous California uh, listener base, so I, just, I want to clarify that so everyone is aware that that's coming. And if they're interested, obviously, we're going to give them a way to get a hold of you here uh, in, in a little bit. So I'm wondering now as an investor, okay, so for, for my flips that I do here locally, I use private investors um, almost exclusively. So if I wanted, if I were in California under the same circumstances, I have private investors and I come to you and say, I'd like to finance a deal using hard money. Mm -hmm. And I know that you loan 80% of, of the purchase price and I've come in with 20%. Um, what if on the loans now where you do, uh, the 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 80% and 20% what if i come in with a private investor to fund the 20% that you're not going to cover is that acceptable or does that have to be money that does that have to be my money absolutely that's acceptable um, and that's what a lot of people do uh, in order to avoid having a, a fund control or something like that uh, avoiding you know somebody else getting in their way uh, what they'll do is they'll come to me and I give, I'll give them that 80% product and they'll have a private investor that comes in and either puts a loan in second position or they just loan them the money and a lot of times they'll loan them you know that 20% plus construction costs right um, where you know the investor really doesn't have a lot of money tied up in the product um, in their in their deal right and it's a great way it's a great way to leverage the finite amount of money like you were talking about earlier that you may have with a private investor, right? They could only do one or maybe two projects if they were funding the whole thing. But if they're coming in as a supplemental loan, now you've just stretched that money a lot farther and maybe you can do three or four deals at the same time. I mean, that I think that'd kind of be the idea. Absolutely. And most private investors aren't looking for you know points. They're just looking for a return. They're looking for that 10 or 11% return, which it makes it very affordable to, you know, to pick up a property and 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 flip it, um, it's just the most important thing in that scenario uh, is that you, I mean, in the in in the sense of longevity sure. for yourself and your investors, 
is don't ever let your investors lose money. Even if you take a hit on the chin, yeah. you got to pay them because if you don't, they're just never going to trust you again. A hundred percent. I mean, you have to at least meet your obligations. And if you can over, you know, overachieve or, you know, give them more than they asked for somehow, that would be great. But yeah, you're right. I, I totally, I couldn't agree more. You know, people say I, I treat private investors' money like it's my own, and I, I always say you should treat it better than if it's your own because you personally may take may be willing to take a loss on a deal because you know that you're going to get back up on the horse and keep riding. Your investor may not have that same faith if they lose lose money in a deal. So I think you should treat your investors' money even better than you might treat your own. So that's well, that's super good advice. I, I saw that happen right in front of my face back in – 2000 and, uh, and, and, and seven when I moved up to the Bay Area uh, to San Francisco and uh, the guy that uh, that I guess was my mentor in this in the hard money business um, he'd been doing it since 1954 and I I saw him because I, I got there in the worst of it and you know he made loans not just in San Francisco but you know all over California. And he, there was some hits that he took, and I mean, I don't even know if his investors even knew that he took a hit. He would just write him a check. Yep. And it, I mean, it, it really, it really did him a lot. Uh, you know, those investors will never ever forget that. Yeah, that's and, very important. And that's the difference between short-term sight and and long-term sight, right? Having that long-term vision. He wasn't in it for that year or that year and the next year. He was in it for, like you said, since 1954. So if you're in it for the long, I mean, if you're, you know, that's, you know, we could get into it, I guess, but there's a lot of people out there where, you know, certain businesses are a cash grab and, and they, they make bad decisions because they know they're going to be out in a few months. But if you're, you know, looking to establish a business that that is reputable and it has ethics and you, you want to be around for a long time, because real estate is, is, a, is sort of a local business business in that you know you can get a bad name pretty quickly and it's real tough to to get rid of that bad name you know it, you, well, you're you're really in a lot of trouble if you do that especially with the technology where it is you don't even have to be local to get a bad name yeah that's for sure you yep. know i couldn't agree more now i don't know if, if this is a question that you're prepared to answer or if it's a, a fair question but i know you do you deal with a lot of investors obviously mm -hmm. and i'm sure that you have a lot of investors approach you uh, looking for money. What are some of the mistakes, if you could pinpoint a couple of things that people make when they approach you for a loan or they approach you about about borrowing money, what are some of the things they do wrong and, and how might they avoid those mistakes? Um, one thing, and, I, and I'm speaking just for myself. Okay, uh, sure. Because I'm, I'm a very straightforward, I, I wouldn't, I'd be shooting myself in the foot if I ever went around somebody or you know whatever it may be. But I'm a I'm a really transparent person, um, and I expect other people to treat me the same way. Um, and there's you know the the biggest mistake that I've seen people do is they try to hide something um, within you know their scenario. And, you know, I kind of get information dribbled out to me rather than all at once. I mean, if somebody were to come to me and say, look, I don't have any money. I have this deal. I have a partner in, uh, that's going to come in, you know, an equity partner or a private investor or whatever it may be. Um, and they're, you know, they're going to finance the rest of this. And here's the situation, blah, 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 blah. 
that is the way to be. You have to be very transparent because you know when, when we underwrite and I, when I when I say we, I imagine most hard money lenders when they underwrite. I mean, they do a pretty good job uh, because they're putting out pretty big money on the street for yeah. this type of product, and you know they're going to find out. The best thing that you can do is be very straightforward, really early in the game, so that you know you're not spinning your wheels and you fill out all these documents and all of these uh, loan packages, and then you know you're in escrow and uh, you're going halfway through, and then the lender says, "Hey, what about this? This is not okay with me," and it blows up your deal and makes everyone look bad. Sure. They, real estate agent will hate you, escrow officer hate you. And, I mean, that that's the biggest thing that blows up deals and stuff like that. Um, and people, I, I don't know why, I think some people are really afraid that, you know, somebody's going to take their deal away from them. And, you know, I'm sure it happens out there, but when you're talking about a reputable company and a reputable lender, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot, especially the way that this industry is. It's very localized. So once somebody has a bad name locally, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's really easy to find out. Yeah, I, I, you're right. And that's that was that was exactly my point. And I think that that's a really good uh, tip. And I think it, it goes for any lending, I would say, not just hard money lending, but any, any lending or anytime you're trying to uh, work with someone in a loan situation is to be absolutely transparent. I mean, <laughs> the last thing you last thing you need, like you said, is to find be found out at the at the midpoint of of the process and have everything blow up, and then you get a bad name. You know, everyone sort of gets a bad taste in their mouth, and and it's really not necessary because, especially when it comes to hard money, you, like you said, hard money. The the, the name came from you, there's a hard asset that's being um, collateralized, so. You know, I, I would imagine without putting words in your mouth, your business is much more interested. You're much more interested in the the, the property itself, the value of it, and that kind of thing, uh, more so than credit history and, and whatever the amount of cash on hand. I mean, that's why I asked you about the private money coming in for the twenty percent, and that's no problem, right? So why hide the fact that you're going to do that if that's what you're in fact going to do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so those are the types of things that you know. That's a really big one, I would say, is that people just try to hide some information and hope that no one sees it or, you know, whatever whatever the case may be. Sure, it's sure. so preposterous to me because, you know, in my mind, it's gonna it's gonna come out no matter what. Um, so, you know, in the in the scenario of, uh, you know, us doing a, that eighty percent deal, um, even if I don't, if it doesn't come out, and we get the loan done really who you're putting at risk is your private investor. And that's that's the last person you want to put at risk. That's the last person you want to lose money because they'll never trust you again if you do. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Well, listen, I want to get out your information. I want people to know how to find you because, like I said, I have a very big listener base in California, and and I know a, a lot of people that are in the, the um, uh, San Diego area. So if you could, let's give out uh, the website. Let's give out the, the contact information so people can get a hold of you if they'd like to. It sounds like, number one, you have a great loan program, but you know people might really be interested in that 90% of cost, I think you called it, loan. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, there's some, like you said, there's... You're controlling a little bit of the of the funds coming at them for the rehab, but I mean, ninety percent of the purchase and ninety percent of the rehab—that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I think well, that's pretty awesome. 
Mike, you know, I actually didn't mention one other program that has become pretty popular um, with our clients is we do have a program where we lend uh, 95% of the purchase price and we don't do a construction holdback. Um, and that program is more expensive. It's uh, 12% and four points. Um, and it kind of surprises me really that people uh, use it as much as they do, but they find it as a pretty good tool to leverage you know, what money they might have or their private investors might have. Sure. Um, but that's, that's really uh, only a California product, mostly in San Diego. Okay. All right. And like you said, you guys are going nationwide here uh, pretty soon. So I don't know how many of these programs are going to be available when you roll out or if you're going to have just maybe one or two programs. Is that something you guys are going to roll out everything all at one time or are you going to kind of feed programs out there? We're, we're trying to do as much as we can, kind of uh, going through the nitty gritty um, to find out where the market is and where um, you know, we can safely lend uh, with those types of programs. Um, we'll, we'll have more information coming soon, probably, like I said, in the middle of next month. Um, but uh, I, I think that probably in other states we won't be as heavily leveraged as far as, you know, like a 95% program will probably be around 80% of the purchase. And, you know, if we can roll out this 90% loan to cost to other states, that would be great. It's just going to be in very select cities. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So how can people find you? Let's give the website out. Uh, so my website is uh, sequ.com. That's S like Sam, E like Edward, Q like Quincy, U as Ulysses.com. Uh, it's Sequoia Investments, okay. and uh, um, I'm always happy to talk. I'm always happy to take a meeting, and if I can, uh, you know, help you, you know, even if I can't help you, at least I can put you, point you in the right direction, and give you some uh, some good advice. Um, I'm always happy to do that. To find this, the the all the information here, everything we talked about, the links like uh, to his website and the phone number I'm going to put up there too. Everything you can find at JustStartRealEstate.com forward slash, and I'm going to make this easy on everybody. I'm, I'm going to make it forward slash hard money. So JustStartRealEstate.com forward slash hard money. You can find everything we talked about today. Like I said, the links to to the website and the phone number. And uh, man, this has just been very incredibly educational for me. I, I learned a lot personally, and I think that it, it's a very cool thing. I, I don't, um, I don't, I haven't used hard money a lot in my business, but. I can absolutely see, like you said, to scale, you know, the private investors in, in, in that type of situation, use that money to scale and, and get even bigger. And I, I know a lot of investors who do use private money and one in particular in California there uh, who I said uh, earlier that uh, I'm going to definitely uh, give your information out to him because I know he uses private money quite a lot. And I see it being a bigger part of my business in the months to come. So I'm excited that you're going to roll out to the rest of the country and hopefully we can work together uh, in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Mike. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for being on, and I will talk to you soon. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, I want to ask one quick question before you leave. I want to ask you, are you enjoying this podcast? Are you getting a lot out of it? Are you finding value? Are you happy to tune into it? Are you feel, are you feel energized when you listen to it, like you're getting good information? 
If the answer is yes to those questions, I ask you to go to iTunes and give me a positive rating and review. Matter of fact, give me any rating and review, whatever you think. Just be honest and give me a rating review. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and that will help me tremendously. It helps me get found a lot easier in iTunes. And if I'm being found easier, that means I'm having more people download the uh, the podcast and I'm reaching more people and helping more people. So if you wanna help the podcast out, all I can ask of you is that you go to iTunes and give me a rating review. All right, I appreciate that. Until next time, if investing in real estate is your dream, there's only one way you can make it a reality. Just start.